James chapter 2. I want to pick up today in, in verse 8. You know, in the little town that I grew up in, Boonville, North Carolina, um, we didn't have many places to congregate. I'm sure y'all don't know what that's like. <laughs> and one of the places that we had to congregate was uh, the local BP station. And in that BP station, there were um, a group of men who loved to philosophize and tell stories and things like that. I remember being there and going in there for breakfast. You know, you could get a biscuit early in the morning. And there would be a group of men who were already there. And then you could come back for lunch and grab a hot dog and a, and a Coke. And those same men would still be there. And then you could come, come in about 3 o'clock to get a snack. And the same men would, would still be there. And they hadn't slowed down a bit telling stories and, and things like that. And I listened to a bunch of these stories from time to time. And sometimes I wondered where they were going. And sometimes I wondered if they had a point. Um, I, I remember listening to, to some stories. And at the end of this long, drawn-out story of something that happened long ago, right at the end when I thought you know, I could respectfully say, oh, I'm glad to hear that. That was nice. Nice. Thanks. I, I've got to be on my way. Something like this would be said. Well, I'll tell you that story to tell you this one. <laughs> and it strikes me that that is a little bit about what the Old Testament is. Right? It's, it's the story that God had to tell us to tell us the next story. It's the one that He had to tell us to set us up for the really, really good news. The, the New Testament doesn't make a lot of sense without the background of the Old Testament. Many times uh, we're given to just go straight to the New Testament because that's where the good stuff is. That's on this side of the cross. That's where the meat is. But the reality is so much of the context is lost if we don't have a deep and abiding knowledge of the Old Testament. I remember wondering questions when I was growing up and, and in youth group and things like that. I remember wondering, what, what is the purpose and the value of all this stuff in the, in the front half of the book? Um, is it just characters of Bible stories, things that are meant to teach me good moral lessons? Well, it certainly does all that. Certainly does that. But is it, is it more? And, and moreover, if Jesus didn't come until... The New Testament, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Were they saved by doing the law? Is that why the law is there? Because in the Old Testament, they were saved by working hard. But wow, we're glad that in the New Testament, we can be saved because Jesus has come. And we've got it a lot easier than they did back then. How were people saved in the Old Testament? Well, I hope to try to answer a couple of these questions. I hope that I can show how James answers a couple of these questions about the purpose of the law. What is the law in the Old Testament? What's it there for? Why do we need it today? And so if you pick up with me in verse 8, 
James chapter 2, verse 8, perhaps James can shed some light onto these questions and, and help us understand what, what are we supposed to do with them today. He begins this way. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, remember partiality, the sin of partiality from last week? But if you show partiality, you, you are committing sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. That's interesting. Verse 11. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. It's interesting. Verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm going to ask you to, to shed some light on this. I'm going to ask you to give me the, the words to, to speak so that I can make this clear. Uh, they, these are kind of weighty issues. They're weighty matters. But God, I, I know that you by your spirit can help us to understand your word. I pray that you do that this morning. I pray that if there's a word that I ought to speak, you would supply it. And if there's a word that I'm prepared to speak that, that I should not, that you would just kind of strike it from my mind. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I've got my first point, and it says this. Rules were meant to be broken, but not that way. Not the way that you're thinking. You've heard people use this phrase before, right? Well, rules were meant to be broken, and what they usually mean is, well, there's a rule, but I really don't want to obey it, so I've just kind of rationalized a way to make it okay to do what I'm about to do, right? Rules were meant to be broken. That's the only reason that they're there. It's not exactly what I mean here. Here's what I do mean. The law in the Old Testament, God's rules, they serve a purpose for us. When we come face to face with how difficult they are, right? As you're reading through your, maybe, maybe some of y'all are still doing good. It's the end of February. Maybe some of y'all are still doing good on your scripture reading plan, your Bible reading plan, and you're trudging through the parts of the Old Testament that usually people drop out during things like that, and you're wondering, what is the purpose of all this stuff, right? Why, why can't it just be, why can't it all just be as clear as Ephesians? And you're walking through it, and you're wondering to yourself, why does God show us all of these rules and all of these laws? Well, the law has a purpose. When we come face to face with how perfect and how rigid God's law is, and we use that as a mirror we look in the mirror and see how imperfect we are, it does not convince us that we should try harder to do God's rules perfectly. What it convinces us of is that we need a Savior. We need somebody who can do it perfectly for us. It doesn't cause us to not want to be good people. It doesn't cause us not to want to do good works. But it convinces us because we have these tendencies. We have these tendencies to, to convince ourselves that I'm good enough in myself. And unless we look at God's holy law, 
We will continue believing that. See, what we're tempted to think is that God's standard is like a little fence. It's about, you know, hip high. And if we can just jump over that fence, then we can get entrance into his kingdom. But here's the reality. God gives us the law and he says, God doesn't say jump over this fence. He says, look at that skyscraper. Jump over that and then you can get into heaven. Well, of course no one can. And so instead of convincing us that the law is a path, that if we just check off the boxes and if we just complete the rules, we can get into God's presence. Instead, the law is meant to be such a high standard. It's supposed to drive us to our knees. It's supposed to drive us to despair, to say to God, Lord, there's no way I could ever be good enough. I need your son, Jesus, who was good on my behalf. Do you see that? The, the, the rules and the Old Testament laws, yes, they showed us what is good and bad. But they were never meant to be the pathway. That if we just follow the pathway perfectly enough, we would one day get to the end of it. And God would be there to reward us saying, hey, good, look how good you are. You can come in. No, friends. The law was meant to show us how bad we are. How far short we fall. There is no one righteous. No, not one. We have all fallen short of his glory. You see, James does this. He does it in, in verses 8 and 9. Look what he says. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. In other words, pat on the back. Good job. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin. And by the way, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point is guilty of all of it. You see what God's standard is? God's standard is not a standard of pretty good. His standard is a standard of perfect. Why? Because He's a holy God and no imperfection can come into His presence. And so if we have failed even at the smallest point, we have no business being anywhere near Him. And so what do we do? Well, we see, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. This is why He talks to us about partiality. Because here's the thing. It's our tendency to say to ourselves, well, I've never murdered, so I must be good enough. I've kept the Ten Commandments, right? I've never committed adultery. I've never done the big list sins. So God should let me in. But the reality is, look, James says here, okay, you've never murdered anyone, but have you ever committed the sin of the fear of man? Have you ever been partial have you ever shown favoritism? Because the reality is God is not so much concerned as the outward actions that we do as He is the condition of our heart. And the problem is we have a heart problem. Jeremiah 17 tells us this. Genesis 3 tells us this. We are broken and our brokenness is not just the outward behaviors that we do. Our brokenness is inside of us. Our problem is a little bit deeper than just our behavior. James, of course, the half-brother of Jesus, he's mirroring Jesus' own teaching. You can imagine growing up around Jesus, that would certainly kind of influence the way that you look at the world if you're James, if you're his half-brother. This sounds just like what, what Jesus himself said in Matthew 19. And behold, a man came up to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? 
And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have kept. In other words, I've, I've done your rules, Jesus. What do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, in other words, if you want to be like me, if you want to be in my presence, if you want to be accepted at my table, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. I would submit to you that we should not compare ourselves to those who are richer or poorer than us, but if we are in this room today, if we live in the United States of America, and if we have a change of clothes when we go home, we are the rich people. And so the reality is this. Yes, this man was able to jump through the hoops. He had not murdered. He had not committed adultery. He had not stolen. He had not borne false witness. But Jesus was able to get to his heart because this man had a heart problem. And his heart problem was he loved his possessions more than he loved Jesus. And friends, we cannot serve two masters. I would ask you today, is there a thing in your life that if God came to you and said, I'm going to have to take that back, you would say back to him, then I'm not going to follow you. Whatever that thing is, is an idol. And it's dangerous. And your love for it could possibly keep you from entering God's presence if you love it more than him. This is the problem of this, this rich young ruler. It's the same thing as what James says here. If you, really feel the ro- if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you're doing well. But what about that issue of favoritism? What about that issue of pride? What about that issue of greed that nobody else sees, but it's inside. It's, it's, it's there. The problem wasn't this rich young ruler. It wasn't his, the problem with him wasn't his inability to perform the outward signs. The problem was his inward heart desires. Here's the point. We can see that the purpose of the law is to show us our need. It's to show us a mirror. It's not to give us a checklist so that we're always kind of gauging against the barometer. You know, how well am I doing? How close am I to the kingdom? Have I done enough yet to to tip the scale? Friends, that's like some kind of far eastern pagan religion. That's not Christianity. The law was not meant to be like like a gauge or like a like a ladder we could climb. Instead, it was supposed to be a mirror that we look in after we, after we do this, one of these mud runs through the swamp. The law is put up in front of us to show us how dirty we are, is to drive us to our knees so that we cry out and say, God, there's no way that I could ever do it myself. It's got to be Jesus instead of me. Secondly, the law points to God's holiness. It points to the holiness of God. when When he says, whoever keeps the law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. This seems kind of hard nosed. I mean, why wouldn't God grade on the curve? Why wouldn't he give us a little slack? I mean, after all, 99, if you get a 99 on a test, I mean, that's that's pretty good. Friends, it's because God is so holy, he's so majestic, he's so righteous that he can't entertain any uncleanness in his presence. The Bible says that he dwells in inapproachable light. 
And so what that means is that if we have any blemishes at all, we have no business being around him. Listen to this from Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is the response. This is the response of people like us when we see what God is really like. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. See what's happening here? Look, look, look what he says in, in James again. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. It sounds just like what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, do not commit murder. And whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that everyone who has been angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. In other words, wrath, anger toward another person is the same thing that's going on in your heart as what happens in the heart of someone who really physically murders. Right? And, and he says the same thing about lust and adultery. It's about the heart. Our problem is not just some kind of exterior renovation. We need an interior, we need an interior work done. The law was never meant to give us a pathway to follow. Instead, that, that, that would lead to heaven. It does show us what's good and evil. Instead, it was meant to be a standard that we should look into as a mirror says this in Romans 7, talking about the law. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? In other words, should we just throw it out? But because it can't save us, should we throw it out? Is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not... I, I, I'm sorry. I would, uh, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known that it, that it is sin to covet. Unless the Bible had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all sorts of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Listen to this. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So what he's saying here, if I were just to condense that, he's saying that the law, which seemed like the way to salvation, really, when I saw it, it cut me to the quick, and I saw that there's no way. There's no way I could ever be saved by fulfilling the law because I'm not perfect. I have a, bro I have a Jeremiah 17, I have a Genesis 3 heart, but the law did show me what sin is. It convicted me of it so that I could run to the Savior. That's the purpose of it. So far in this sermon this morning, there's, there's really not been much good news, but the third point uh, is, is good news. And so it, uh, it says this, 
Jesus obeyed perfectly for you. Jesus obeyed perfectly for you. We put a lot of emphasis on the death of Jesus, right? The, the, the cross of Christ, the death, the death is necessary, the burial, the resurrection is necessary. But it's important for us to remember that before Jesus died for us, he lived for us. He lived a perfect life, the perfect life that we failed to live. And he had to live that perfect life in order to be the unblemished lamb, in order to be the perfect sacrifice who could go in our place so that our sins could be taken care of. He says this, So speak and act as those who were judged under the law of liberty. In other words, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new kind of standard that's available. Instead of trying to use the standard of your own goodness and your own righteousness, instead of always waking up every morning thinking, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Am I a good enough Christian? The question instead is, was Jesus good enough? And the answer is always yes. Jesus was good enough on your behalf. And He has offered His life for you in this glorious exchange that He would take on your badness and give you the goodness that he earned. Every law, he fulfilled the law, the Bible says. He obeyed God perfectly at every turn for you. The law came to wreck you. It came to show you that there was no way that you would ever be good enough, but Jesus came to do the law for us so that in him, whoever places their faith in him, who, who throws away their old resume and says, no, there's nothing, good in my, there's nothing good in my past, there's nothing good enough in my history, it's got to be the resume of Jesus that gets me where I need to be. Because of the gospel, mercy can triumph over judgment. This is what... This is what this little section closes with. If you look in, in verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It says this in Romans 8, what, what uh, Mr. John read just a few moments ago. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you feel condemnation? The Scriptures say... That for certain, objectively, without question, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more reason for your conscience to accuse. No more reason for the enemy to bring up the past. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from uh, free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, right? So there's a new law. It speaks of this as, as a new law that has come in. No longer are we condemned by what we couldn't do. We are now justified by what Jesus did. Do you see that? Beautiful, beautiful truth. For judgment is without mercy for the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So in your life, in your life, because of what Jesus did, God's mercy, which is a real thing, can triumph. It can trump. It can defeat God's judgment, which is also a real thing for those who are outside of Christ. God's mercy can defeat His judgment if you are in Christ, if you've given your life to Him. It's also important 
in my Bible, I, I keep a few different pens around. I keep, I keep a blue pen for just general underlining and kind of making notes. I always, have a, I always have a blue pen on me, one reason or another. And then I have a red pen. And the red pen, I, I underline in red the things that deal with salvation, with God's plan to save sinners. I see things in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I underline it in red. And then there are some things that I underline in green. And green is stuff that is meant to be applied. Like, I can do something with this today. I, I just, I like the color green. It's like, I think of, you know, new leaves, new growth is green, right? If I want to grow in Jesus, this is how I can do it today. And I have verse 13 underlined in green. This is something we can do today. Look what it says. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. This is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. It's almost exactly what Jesus... You see all these parallels with Jesus? It's like James is just quoting Jesus almost. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others in their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. And he says here in James, judgment, God's judgment, will be without mercy if you show no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So choose mercy. Don't choose judgment. Here's what he's saying. If you don't show mercy to other people, right? If, if, you, if you see a poor man on the street... And every time, 10 out of 10, you think to yourself some kind of, oh, just shrug him off. Sometimes, every now and then, I don't know what got that poor man there on the street panhandling, but every now and then, sometime, maybe the, the, you know, the, the ninth or the tenth time out of 10, I'll just give him some money, right? Because I don't know, perhaps I'm entertaining angels as a script. I don't know what he needs. Perhaps I give him a gift card to go get a sandwich or something like that. Show mercy, also in forgiveness. I mean, it's dealing with a number of different things. There are different ways we can show mercy to people. You can go on a mission trip and do mercy ministry, right? You can, you can show mercy by showing forgiveness to people. That's one way you can show mercy. But listen to what he said. He's saying here that if you're the kind of person that doesn't show mercy, that doesn't forgive, that doesn't ease the burden... If you're the kind of person who doesn't show mercy, that might indicate, it might, it might point to the fact that maybe you've never experienced the mercy of Jesus yourself. Because those who have been forgiven of their sins, those who, even though God should not have done it, God showed us mercy, those who have received that mercy, they want to turn around and show mercy to other people who also don't deserve it, right? I didn't deserve mercy. God showed me mercy. I want to show mercy to other people even if I don't think they deserve it. So watch this. I would say even if you don't have a, a green pen, this is the kind of thing, you underline this in green. It's something you can do today. Go out and show mercy. Why? Because you have been shown mercy in Jesus Christ. In closing, I want to perhaps try to get into your shoes for a second. Maybe... Maybe you're here today and you're tempted to look through, look at life through the lens of your own good works. That's kind of your default. That's what you run back to. You, you run back to looking, looking at life through your good works. You find yourself comparing your sins to other people. Sometimes it, make you, it makes you feel pretty justified because you're doing well this week. 
compared to the people you're comparing yourself to. Sometimes it makes you feel a little defeated. You don't know if you're enough. You don't know if, if you've done enough. Perhaps you're recognizing that this is your whole frame of vision. You've never actually given your life to Jesus. You've always just kind of been comparing to your own standard. You've been setting up your own gospel instead of accepting the gospel of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you have not shown mercy. Maybe mercy is not like in your spiritual gift, like if you were to take one of those spiritual gift inventories. Mercy wouldn't show up. I would say to you today, think of someone that you can show undeserved mercy to. Why? Because you have been the recipient of undeserving mercy. Or thirdly, maybe today, I want to bring this up, maybe you walked into church today and you were really, really hoping that the passage that would get preached on today would talk directly to what you need. And today it just didn't seem to. Today you walked in, you're like, I really, need, I really need to hear what I need to do about this. But today James, James, didn't, James didn't push those buttons. Here's what I want to say to you. God is still good. And His Word is still sufficient. If I can help, if I can help apply God's Word to whatever situation you're walking into, that's what I'm here for the other six days of the week. And so I would just, I would just put myself out there. I would love to, to help you. Um, if, if, you, if you need help in, in some other way that maybe James didn't talk about today. But I want to remind you that God is still good. His word is still sufficient. And it does have the answers to whatever it is you need. As we said at the beginning, when we looked at Psalm 91, God is our refuge. He has the answers that we need. Even if we don't know where to find them, they're still there and they're found in Him. He's a good refuge. He's a good place to place your hope. And today I would say... If you have never placed your hope in Him, if you've never given your life to Him at all, today would be a great day to find refuge in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. Uh, our folks are going to lead us in a little bit of time of reflection and response. I'm going to be available to you uh, to, to speak to you. If you would like to come and speak to me, I'm also going to be available after the service today. So I would ask you now uh, to respond in whatever way that God would have you to respond. Would you stand and close your eyes while I pray and as we respond together? Lord, you're so good to us and you give us everything that we need. Uh, Father, I don't have all the tools necessary to, to just make, uh, to, to just bring out everything that, that is even included in these verses from James. I'm sure that there are five or six sermons that could be preached from, from, what, uh, from what we looked at today, but I do trust that your word will never return void. You always give your people what they need through their word. You've done it in the Old Testament by giving us the law, by giving us examples, by giving us stories. You've done it in the New Testament by giving us your son himself, Jesus Christ, who came to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, that we failed to live, died the death that we deserve to die, and offers his life for us. God, I pray that this message would change us. I pray that we would not simply hear this word, but that we would do it. I pray that we would look for ways to show mercy, to love others. Lord, I pray that through our Love Trenton event, that this would be an opportunity for us to show undeserved love to others around us. And God, I pray that for those who are gathered here today, if there is someone who needs to, for the first time, confess you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would do that. They would make that public. They would come and tell me about that and ask me, what do I need to do to come to know Jesus for the first time? If there are others who are dealing with various issues, burdens, different things like that, God, I pray that they would find you to be the only true and good refuge. Pray this in the name of Jesus.
and for his sake. Amen.